Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 445, air date April 1st, 2019. Welcome, this is Dr. Shiva Ayadure, and I want to really uh, take a few moments to share with you some of my recent findings from my research on climate change. Many of you know that um, my background, you know, some of the books back here, that you can see has always been in science. I have four degrees from MIT. My PhD is in a field called systems biology from the MIT Department of Biological Engineering. And my other three degrees are in engineering and sciences. The reason I'm sharing that with you is we've gotten to a point in America in many ways that um, everyday people, not only everyday people, but particularly the youth in particular who are going to college can tell a difference between, let's say, a, a baseball player or, you know, let's say a major league pitcher and a little leaguer or a great basketball player and, let's say, someone who's, you know, in high school. But for some reason, the educational system doesn't enable our uh, people graduating colleges to really understand the difference between someone who has a PhD in, let's say, the sciences and someone who just has an opinion on something. Um, C.P. Snow, if anyone hasn't read this great essay by him, I tweeted it out called Two Cultures, said something fascinating. You know, he was a novelist, a, a well-respected novelist, which means he was uh, deeply involved in the humanities, but he was also a physical chemist. Physical chemistry is an amazing field of science. And C.P. Snow talks about in, in Two Cultures, in, in this essay, how he would go, this is about 60, 70 years ago, to some of the elite parties of his time in London, where you know these were hoity-toity people, college-educated, the elites, and he would ask them, how many of you know the second law of thermodynamics? Um, and obviously these people would start looking down on him with disdain, really pissed off. But in his view, that question was, do you know the second law of thermodynamics? Is no different than asking, do you know who Shakespeare is? He also made the question a little bit easier. Do you know the difference between force and mass and acceleration? And the same people would get quite upset with him, even on things like that. Um, but in his view, that was the same as asking, do you know how to read? The reason I'm sharing this with you is not to put the humanities or sciences one above the other, but we have a whole tranche of people who are going to college, getting degrees in um, subjects which perhaps don't even require any significant skill, are highly subjective, and then those people are then up on Facebook, up on Twitter, and in sometimes becoming talking heads on TV with absolutely no fundamental experience in science. And those people, in my view, are being used as the front end to a whole cadre of the elites who are using essentially, I hate to say it, but vulnerable, educated, quote unquote, idiots to promote different agendas. So let's talk about climate change in that context. I mean, some of you know I've been tweeting a lot about cannabis. Cannabis, you know, there's three issues before we get back to climate change. There's three issues really with cannabis. One issue with cannabis is the issue of, you know, the issue of freedom and rights. Um, and uh, frankly, I don't want to impinge on anyone's rights. People can do whatever they want. The second issue is on legalization, you know, decriminalization prohibition, which is really a political issue. And the third issue is a scientific issue, which is how does 
the cannabis of today work at the molecular level? How does it work biochemically? What have we discovered and how do we put that together from a systems approach? That's the expertise that I have. I can have opinions on the other two, but there are scientific facts and scientific realities. So many um, people out there, when I tweet out cannabis is a, a disruptor because it has high levels of THC for the endocannabinoid system, quickly react back. They th they'll write back reefer madness or they'll start writing back stuff about you know, it's my right. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about science. And that's what we need to get back to in America because we have a whole set of people who are leveraging the fact in a very malicious way that many people do not understand science, do not understand force, do not understand basic chemistry, and they're taking advantage of people. So let's start with climate change. You know, one of the things, by the way, when we talk about science, there's something called the scientific method. The scientific method is actually quite beautiful, but it's a finite set of principles which helps us discover truth from falsifications. And this is how it goes. You know, you see something take place in nature, um, some phenomenon, um, you know, apple falls to the ground, for example, and you as a human being uh, who is curious about this um, decides to uh, make a guess on why why you think that phenomena is going on. So you observe something. So the scientific method starts typically with an observation of some phenomenon. And then there's the concept of an explanation. You want an explanation for that phenomenon, which is quote unquote a guess. And that guess needs to be validated through experiments, which means you take your guess why you think that's working and then, which is called a model, by the way, the whys of why you think it's working. And then you actually execute a series of experiments in the real world uh, to validate whether um, the experiment matches your explanation or your guess. If it doesn't match, then as Richard Feynman said, it doesn't matter how good looking you are, it doesn't matter what name you are, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are, um, your science is wrong. It's that simple. There's no political correctness. There's no opinion here. You're just wrong. And this is hard for people who've never had scientific training, who don't know how to solve math problems. Um, lot, by the way, a um, lot of everyday people who do plumbing, engineering, nursing, medical doctors, um, customer service people, people, engineers, we all actually understand this. We may not understand the math, but we know that we have to face reality every day. But there's a whole strata of people who have subjective ideas and they never have to face reality. And those are the people that are the most vulnerable to what's going on right now uh, in, in, the, in the world. So, um, I'm just, um, so what I want to talk about when it comes to climate change, um, there are theories emerging on how the climate changes. Now, me personally, um, and I believe most scientists would agree that the climate does change. It, it's always changing. Um, CO2, which is carbon dioxide, is a greenhouse gas. Everyone will agree to that. Um, everyone will probably agree, most people agree to that greenhouse gases increase temperature. And people will also agree, including myself, that we as human beings emit greenhouse gases, okay? So those four things, if you wanted to make it a yes or no question, are obviously yes. But the people framing this question are framing it wrong. It's not a yes or no question. 
The issue is how much? That's really the question, how much? Because, you know, you could say uh, anything in the, on the earth, uh, a cow, you know, pooping or farting has an effect on releasing CO2 and that can affect the increase in temperature. Uh, there are many, many things which can affect greenhouse gases. The issue is how much does that greenhouse gas actually affect what's called temperature change? So a little bit of science. Um, you have the earth here and you have the sun here. Very simply put, the sun emits radiation. The sun is about 6,000 degrees Kelvin, or if you wanna keep it in Celsius, about that plus or minus around 200 degrees, 273 degrees. But the sun is a, a, a radiating body and it sends out visible light, which is what we see. And that light travels through space and when it hits the earth, some of that radiation pierces into the surface and the oceans and the other part reflects back. If you wanna keep some broad numbers, um, the measure of radiation coming into the earth is known as flux, F-L-U-X, which is denoted as energy per uh, an area, a surface area. So with the earth, it's 300, with, with, I'm sorry, with the sun, the energy that 6,000 degrees of temperature emits, uh, the flux is 340 watts, which is a measure of energy per square meter, 340 watts per square meter. When that amount of energy comes to the earth, about 140 gets reflected back through various processes. It just gets reflected back into space. The remaining 200 watts per square meter, so 140 watts per square meter is reflected back. The other 200 watts per square meter makes it into the earth. And this is what creates what we know as a greenhouse effect. That's what warms the earth. Now, this is called the energy budget or the energy balance. You may hear this term. That 200 watts per meter through a series of processes also um, gets emitted back so you have a net zero. How does that happen? Well, uh, it's a very, very complex model, uh, modeling process, a very complex system. Look, I do modeling for a living. As I mentioned, my PhD is in systems biology. In fact, I'm the creator of a technology called Cytosol, which helps us model very complex biochemical reactions um, on, in the human cell or in biological functions. Well, I can tell you that models can be garbage in, garbage out. They're very complex systems of systems of systems. In the case of, in the case of um, uh, what we're talking about here with climate, there are really two very complex systems. One is the oceans and one is the atmosphere. Both of these systems are known as turbulent fluids. The atmosphere is a, is a fluid of you know, uh, particles, which includes water vapor, you know, greenhouse gases, um, but it's, it's a very fast moving fluid. And when I mean a turbulent fluid, think about if you boil water in the morning, that boiling of water is a turbulent fluid versus water just coming out of the faucet, which is much more predictive. The oceans are also another turbulent fluid and they move um, at varying timescales. They're not as fast as the atmosphere. So you have two turbulent fluids interacting and those two turbulent fluids interacting serve to emit or retain that 200 watts per meter um, that's 
coming into the lower atmosphere. So the question has been, how much do greenhouse gases affect the emission back of those 200 watts per meter? So when um, this entire argument or this discussion started, the modelers, there's actually 120 different models right now, and at some point we'll discuss how they do it, but their model said that if you have CO2, which is one of the various greenhouse gases, sulfur dioxide, um, etc., there's others, um, that if you double the amount of CO2, um, several hundreds of years ago, it was around 280 parts per million, and th they said if you double it to um, 560 parts per million, that you will increase the watts per meter that the Earth will retain that won't be sent back by 3.7 watts per meter, and that would translate itself roughly into about two to three degrees centigrade. That's what their models predict. So the retention of additional heat would convert itself to a delta change or change in temperature from the global mean temperature. And they gave an error of that roughly from right now the climate models say around 1.2 degrees all the way up to around 3.4. They have a, a range and we'll discuss that. But their point is that CO2 is the thing that's driving that temperature up. Uh, right now, according to measured data, it's around 0.8 degrees above the global mean as measured from 1850. Okay, so um, the average temperature of the Earth, if you look at that as of today, has gone up by 0.8 degrees. Their models predict it should be around 2.4 degrees. Um, so uh, the important thing is that's what these models predict. But the reality is that if you actually look at the data and you look at what's going on, the prediction of the models and the actual measurements are not matching. The prediction of the models are much higher than what we're actually measuring. In response to that, the, um, the people who are doing these models will start doing hand-waving and saying, oh, well, you know, the measurement devices aren't correct. Or they'll say, well, we didn't include other factors like aerosols. And so they always have made it very squishy. And this is where they're able to bamboozle people from a scientific method. Because a scientific method says, as I, as I said, you come up with a observation, which they think that the Earth's uh, temperature is increasing. Um, and we'll talk about that. By the way, we had a, a, mini, a little ice age a couple hundred years ago. And many scientists acknowledge that the Earth's temperature is increasing but because of that anyway will go up by probably uh, one degree. Um, but they, there's an observation that the temperature is apparently increasing. And then the, the explanation is that it's CO2, right? So you see an observation and, and these group of academics have said that it's CO2 that's causing it. And then they put together a big explanation called a model. Well, those models are not matching reality. And when they don't match reality, instead of acknowledging they don't match it, they make it even more squishier. It's the best word I can use. So you can never really um, get a handle and expose the fact that they're not following the scientific method, which is what they're not doing. Uh, recently, so that's a CO2 and we'll, we'll discuss that even more. Recently, there's been some very interesting um, discussion 
in fact, not discussion, but a, a, a research paper that came out uh, uh, out of Denmark by a researcher called Svensmark, uh, hopefully pronouncing it right, and it's fascinating. Uh, these group of scientists have literally worked about 20 years, and uh, there's some videos out there, you could uh, watch them on, on YouTube, but they came up with a, uh, a theory the theory they couldn't fully explain because the measurements sort of matched, they didn't. They went back another four to 10 years, did harder work. And now they have, uh, they follow the scientific approach. They've actually done the hard work, hard work. Um, and what they found is this, this is what's fascinating. They have, uh, in my view, proven a, a, a input that has not con was not considered before that really shows how an external forcing actually can actually increase warming on the planet, which has nothing to do with CO2. So it turns out, as many of you know, if you believe in science and you're not a flat earther, the earth actually rotates around the sun, okay? The solar system is also very interesting. The solar system rotates around the Milky Way. If you look at the Milky Way, the Milky Way actually has different arms to it. And those arms are filled with, you know, all sorts of substances, but stars and um, uh, radiation, etc. And in, in between those arms are space. So we, as a solar system, in addition to the Earth moving around the sun, the entire solar system is moving around the Milky Way. And it takes around 280 million years for the entire solar system to move around the Milky Way. Okay, so really, simply put, we're moving around the sun. The sun is giving us energy, um, uh, heat, but then we're also moving around the Milky Way. As we move around the Milky Way, where we are going, the solar system are going through periods where we're in, a, in space, meaning we're not in one of those arms, and then we're moving into one of those arms. What they, what they uh, put together was uh, another scientist, I believe in, um, Israel or uh, another part of the world, not in Denmark, had found some fascinating data, a very interesting oscillation pattern of data that coincided with the solar system moving between the space and then the arms, the space and the arms, which coincided with temperature, global mean temperatures on the Earth changing by five to 10 degrees, meaning that the Earth's temperature um, would go uh, warm, very warm, during the periods where the solar system was going be between those arms in the space, and then it was going down much cooler when it was going down uh, into the arms. And this was observed uh, independently, but they didn't know why. The scientists in Denmark uh, had a theory, and that theory was that, um, and the theory actually derived from the fact that uh, when the Earth uh, moved through, or the, when the solar system moved through those arms, there was variations in cosmic radiation. So cosmic rays, for example, are put out when a supernova takes place, when a star is born or bursts, etc. Immense amount of radiation are put out. That radiation is a galactic factor. It has nothing to do with the sun, per se, or something happening on Earth by us producing CO2. But this is happening... Uh, in the formation of stars, etc. Cosmic rays come into the Earth. In fact, they're spread everywhere. And the 
level of cosmic rays, without getting too complicated, are low during that space when the when the solar system is in that space between the arms of the Milky Way, and they increase when you go through the arms of the Milky Way because there's a lot more radiation, there's a lot more stars, a lot more matter. I mean, just think about space, and then you have a lot of stuff in those arms. So this is uh, the data or the observation that they had, and the explanation was, could this explain or could this uh, contribute to temperature increases on the Earth? It turns out that cosmic radiation, as it comes into our atmosphere, helps ionize gives us gives ions those ions create aerosols which are essentially particles air and solvents water vapor uh, an aerosol particle and they help those particles go from a small size to becoming larger size particles from one to two nanometers to 50 nanometers but they actually help seed clouds so to keep it simple cosmic rays help form clouds the more cosmic rays you have, the more cloud cover you have in the lower atmosphere. The less cosmic rays, you have less clouds. Okay, I'll repeat that again. More cosmic rays, ions help form aerosols, which help see clouds. So that means when the solar system is moving through the arms of the galaxy, as we said, we have more cosmic rays, more clouds. When it's moving through the space areas, you have less cosmic rays, less clouds. So what do clouds do? Well, clouds serve to, when that 340 watts per meter comes, more of it is gonna get reflected back. So you have less heating of the earth. And what they were able to show was, and explain, mechanistically explain, this is important. One is correlation, CO2 goes up, you see something else go up or down, and by the way, it's not going up or down, they can't, the correlations aren't even matching in that case. But in this case, they were able to show the correlation of gamma rays, which mean, I, mean, I mean cosmic rays hitting the Earth, and those uh, forming clouds. So they've been able to show that in a very precise way. More, more uh, cosmic rays, more clouds. And, and you can read their papers on that. The important thing that they found was that during the time cycle, during the galactic time cycle, the temperature of the Earth has changed between five to 10 degrees. In fact, you know, having ice on the Arctic and polar caps is actually somewhat of a relatively rare phenomenon than when the Earth is actually much warmer because it's moving much more through that space period, the solar system. So we actually have, when we're moving through that space, more cosmic, I mean, less cosmic rays, less clouds, more heating in fact we have very little ice and when the solar system moves through the arms we have more cosmic rays more clouds and we have a cooling and that's what we that's why we have polar ice caps right now because of that galactic cycle okay so there's this one long cycle which takes over millions of years um, that it itself oscillates and that serves to explain these longer cycles of big ice ages and warming periods, big ice ages and warming periods. Now, in any one period, you know, in a short time span of a thousand years in, in, in a ge geological time, you have